This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock, and welcome to the Retirement Detective Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about getting prepared for tax season and getting all of those 1099s organized. And this episode, which will come out at the end of January, is timely because I hear a lot of people talk about a myth. And this myth is that you'll get 1099s from your investment accounts by the end of January. And in this episode, we'll talk about why that's not true and when you will actually get 1099s, which ones you'll probably get and what to do with them. Every January, it's time to start thinking about tax season. And for a lot of investors and retirees, that means gathering up 1099s from your various investment accounts. Some investment accounts will generate 1099s and some will not. But most people that have some sort of taxable account, whether it's a taxable brokerage account or even a bank savings account, will get some sort of 1099 that indicates income. A 1099 is simply a form that the IRS requires a firm that has generated income for you either through investments that are held in the account or it's a bank paying interest, they have to report that income. So they send a 1099 to you, and then they also send a copy of that 1099 to the IRS because the IRS wants to see what was reported to you. There are several different types of 1099 forms, but in its most simple definition, a 1099 form is is simply a way to report income that is not income from salary or earnings, which is generally on a W-2 if you are not a contractor, or on a K-1, which is a form that you get if you have income from a a partnership, an S-corporation, or a, a trust. So a 1099 is simply a form that says, I got some income. And there's different types. And they're all acronyms. And of course, we love acronyms here when we're talking about IRS forms. So let's walk through a couple of these. So the 1099B is probably the most common one. So if you have a taxable account and taxable brokerage accounts, we're not talking about bank accounts at the moment, taxable brokerage account, and you have some sort of transaction that had a tax impact. So you sold something for a gain, you sold something for a loss, that alone will trigger a 1099. Additionally, things like a corporation having a redemption of stock or a tender offer, or maybe two companies merged, and as part of that merger you received cash, then that would also be on a 1099B. So the B sort of stands for brokerage, 1099B for brokerage. So anytime you have basically capital gains and losses is really the most common one, that will be on a 1099B. Next, you have 1099DIV. So 1099DIV, and this is for dividend. So this is when a 1099 uh, occurs because you had 
dividends from a fund or capital gain distributions from mutual fund or some sort of other distribution that's maybe not taxable like um, interest from a municipal bond fund, for instance. So 10 and I DIV will also come from a brokerage because that's not something that would come from a bank. And this is going to be where all of your income, not from capital gains, but your income cash received through normal holding of, of various investments, dividends would come from. The next one is going to be a 1099 INT. Now, this one could potentially come from your bank or your brokerage account, but if you have interest, income of $10 or more, they will send you a 1099 INT. And so this is interest and separate from dividends because sometimes dividends have different cap, uh, sometimes dividends have different tax treatment. There's something called the qualified dividend, which is a, when you get a dividend and you've met certain criteria, such as you've held it for a certain amount of time and it's a US-based company, then you get capital gain tax treatment on that dividend instead of it being ordinary income. So dividends do have a certain distinction tax-wise from interest, which interest is usually ordinary income unless it's tax-exempt interest, like from a tax-exempt municipal bond or tax-exempt municipal bond fund, in which case that interest may actually not be taxable at all. Now, if you have um, rent or royalties or something like that, you may also get a 1099 MISC, which stands for miscellaneous. And if you have CDs or treasury bills or other things that are issued at an original issue discount, then you'll get something called a 1099 OID. Now, treasury bill is, com is admittedly the most common form of this. An original issue discount bond is one where it's issued below par and may or may not pay interest. So a treasury bill does not actually pay interest, but it's issued below par. Original issue discount is when you purchase something less than par and it grows to par, and that's part of the income that you're expecting. So these are sort of the 1099s that you can expect to receive from your banks and brokerage. And I hear a really common myth from folks that they call on February 1st or February 2nd and say, I, I didn't get my 1099. It's after January 31st. Well, 1099s that are for like a contractor or, you know, an employee that's not a full-time employee, um, not a W-2 wage earner, those are due by January 31st. Almost all brokerages issue what's called a consolidated 1099, which is where they lump together the 1099B, the 1099DIV, and the 1099INT into one consolidated 1099. And consolidated 1099s have a deadline of February 15th. And in fact, a brokerage firm can file an extension and ask that they have until March 15th to issue it. And even after that, you could still get revisions, and we'll talk about that in a second. So for most brokerage firms, they're going to issue you a consolidated 1099, which would be the 1099B, the 1099DIV, and the 1099INT in one big package or one big envelope, or if you're electronic, one big file, and they have until February 15th to issue that. Additionally, 
there's an extension opportunity for the brokerage firm. So if the brokerage firms say, you know what, we've tried, we just cannot get this together, then they uh, can actually ask for an extension that is for a month and they have until March 15th to postmark the form. So you're receiving it by mail, may not actually come until you know March 20th or something like that. This has been the case since 2008. So this is not a new change. This change has been around for a little while now. So if you're wanting to get your tax return prepared right away in January and you have investment accounts, then I would say that you need to wait because you're going to receive 1099s in the future, most likely in late February, could be late March, but it actually could even be later than that. And here's why. So mutual funds especially are occasionally known for issuing corrections to their 1099s. So how this can happen is sometimes a mutual fund, when they're doing their year-end accounting, there's every day, I mean, imagine just like millions of investors buying more shares of the mutual fund at the same day that their other people are giving shares back in exchange for cash. And this happens a gazillion times every day for the fund for the whole year. They'll sometimes go back and realize that when they did their accounting that at certain times the cash distributions they made may have actually exceeded what they could have actually earned. And in that case, it's called a return of capital, which is sort of like saying the fund is giving you your own money back. It's not actually earnings. And when that happens, then they have to recharacterize that distribution into the percentage of it that was actually income and the percentage that was return of capital because return of capital is not taxed. When you get your own money back, it's not it's not taxed. That is probably the most common case of when a mutual fund will cause a 1099 to have a correction. And when the 1099 is corrected, it is resent. And that can happen really any time, but usually could happen all the way up until the April 15th deadline for individuals. So in my opinion, I don't think there's a whole lot of incentive to file early because you're just asking for the opportunity to have to amend and refile your tax return because you don't have any control or warning of when a brokerage firm is going to ask for that extension. So first of all, you may be waiting until March 15th to get all the forms. And then there's the possibility, especially if you own mutual funds or closed end funds, you may have corrections up until the tax filing deadline. And it would be really annoying to file your tax return maybe in late February, you got most of your 1099s, and then at some point later, you get a 1099 you had forgotten about, or the mutual fund company causes a 1099 to be corrected, and then you have to file again, and that's pretty annoying. Now, there is another form that we haven't talked about, and that's called a K-1. And as I mentioned earlier, K-1s are issued by um, firms that are trusts or S corporations or partnerships. And some par partnerships are actually publicly traded and um, master limited partnership funds are, are an example, um, pretty common in the energy industry. But if you own a company or some sort of fund that issues a K-1, you're almost nearly highly, nearly 100% likely going to need to extend your tax filing because K-1s typically come much later in the year. And the reason for that is that the corporation or partnership has to prepare their own return first 
before they can send you your K-1. So for instance, a, a partnership has their original filing deadline, which is March 15th, and then they have the opportunity to have an extension. So if they file and file an extension, which they're legally entitled to do, then their tax return is not due until September 15th. And if they did that and waited until the very end, then they wouldn't even be sending out K-1s to their investors until late September. And the individual's tax filing deadline with extension is October 15th. So if you have K-1s from a publicly traded company or some other type of partnership, it's possible you may not get all of the forms to complete your tax return until a couple of weeks before the extended deadline. Now, that's sort of a worst-case scenario. In practice, I typically see them arrive sometime in the late summer, July, August, that sort of time frame. Nearly all of them extend. So if you own a master limited partnership, you should just be prepared to file an extension on your return and that you will not get all the forms needed to complete your return until much later in the year. With tax season upon us, I encourage you all to remain organized, make some folders, get all this stuff together. Uh, you will not make your accountant happy if you show up with the proverbial shoebox full of papers and receipts. Organization is helpful for you and it's helpful for them. I wish you all much luck in this year's tax season. That's all for today's episode. Take care. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.